Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Like I just said gold, golden thing. It's all wasted. <laughs> and do you go by Dr. Joy or just Joy or... I mean, with clients and like in the world, Dr. Joy, but with you, it's Joy is fine. <laughs> I want to be respectful of that hard-earned degree. Totally fine. <laughs> All right, so let's get started. I have invited Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, the founder of Therapy for Black Girls, and to talk about race in private practice, to talk about being seen and I just have loved what she's doing, so I want you guys to meet her and know about her and learn from her. So thank you for joining. Absolutely, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Yeah. One of the reasons I had reached out to you, we were talking before I started recording, was just I see that when I look at directories, for example, we still are lacking the diversity of our community reflected in them. And I... I think it's important as someone who has had my own therapy to be able to see people like you and I love what you're doing with therapy for black girls and I I wanted just to hear the story of how that started and why Mm-hmm. Yeah, so therapy for black girls is kind of multifaceted at this point, um, but it originally started as just a blog. Um, so it started after I watched, um, there's an award show on BET called Black Girls Rock, mm-hmm. um, which was just like an incredible program, like the energy was palpable even through the television. And so it felt like, oh, could I create something like this with the same kind of energy around mental health? Mm. And so I thought of the name like therapy for black girls. Let's see how that sticks. Um, and every time I would like introduce people to the blog, I would get the reaction like, oh, yes, we need that kind of thing. So I was like, okay, I'm on to something here. Um, so it really started as a way for me to just kind of talk about mental health topics in a way that felt very relevant and accessible for Black women. Um, I am a really big proponent of like getting rid of jargon and, you know, like, people don't connect with that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, that's great for us as colleagues to maybe throw around, but like the real people who need the help, um, that's not going to go very far. And so I really wanted to be able to talk about mental health topics in a way that felt less stuffy um, and like, oh, you have to be crazy to go to therapy kind of thing. But more of like, okay, let's look at all of these like everyday kinds of decisions you could be making that might help to improve your health, your mental health. So things like sleep hygiene, um, boundaries is a big one. Um, how do you have more assertive communication, dealing with toxic family members, like all of those things that we talk about. Um, so I was writing blog posts about those things. Um, and then let's see, what was the next iteration? The timeline gets a little fuzzy. Okay. But at some point, um, I put out a call because I also had been seeing conversations on social media of people saying like, oh, I really would like to find like a black woman therapist. And so it felt like, okay, there's a need for like a list of something or something like it where people can find therapists, you know, that they want to work with. So I just put out a call. I made a simple Google doc and put out a call online and said, Hey, if you are a black woman who has worked with a therapist and you really enjoy working with them, 
give me their name and I will put together a list so that other black women who are looking for therapists might also have good experiences with these people. Um, and so that was in December of 2016. Um, and by the end of December, I already had 90 therapists on the list. So <laughs> I was like, okay, clearly there was a real need for this. Um, and it really has just grown from there in terms of the directory. So now we are at almost 700 therapists wow. um, in the directory, which is incredible. Um, and I've also added a podcast to Therapy for Black Girls now. So there's a podcast of the same name that I launched exactly one year ago yesterday. Um, it's my one year anniversary, uh, which has also been very, very popular. So it, it felt like the podcast allowed me to like do some things that I couldn't do with the blog post. Um, so some of the most popular episodes from the podcast have been when I will talk about what therapy would look like with a fictional black woman character. So like if Olivia Pope came into therapy, what kinds of things would she be talking about? What kinds of interventions would you use with her? Those kinds of things. Um, so people really like that because then they can see themselves, you know, like maybe in some of the characteristics of some of these characters and talk about, okay, maybe I need to also go to therapy to work on some of these things. Right. You're just making mm -hmm. it more accessible and relatable. Exactly. Because I think it's really weird, right? Like what happens when you go behind this closed door at a therapist's <laughs> office? Like you're technically going to a stranger's like little room and we put a lot of effort into, you know, making it feel very cozy and there's a sofa. And I mean, you know, just it's a very weird setup if you just look at it from the outside. Right. And so I think people did need to have more of an understanding of what happens when that door closes and what kinds of things might you be talking about. Do you do a lot of research in this area too? In, in terms, terms of what? In terms of um, ther therapists, like I, I think I saw a post from Mercedes Semenio who's in boot camp about mm -hmm. research in terms of, we, there was a conversation yesterday in Facebook about where, who's the researchers that are black and oh. all these kinds of things. Have you been involved in that at all too? Or has it been more in the, public side than mm -hmm. in the institutionalized academic side. Yeah, yeah. My work has been much more like client facing as opposed to um, like academic kind of research uh, because I just, while I recognize the need for that, that doesn't feel like the best fit for me or my work. Um, you know, like, so I really haven't done anything like that since my dissertation. Okay, so yeah. when, one of the things that struck me about that was people were looking for a resource and then resources were shared and then someone's like, but I want it this way. Oh, we're going to go there, Kelly. <laughs> well, but I think it's important. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yes. Is that yeah. okay if we go there? Oh, absolutely. I'm fine. We're going there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a very active conversation and we have definitely been continuing to have conversation about that this morning uh, because yeah, so, you know, the call was, related, you know, the post was generally about like, I'm looking for resources from people of color um, in journals and things like that to be able to share with, you know, some trainees or something like that. Um, and so a lot of the response was, well, you're likely not going to find exactly what you're looking for in these more traditional venues, because historically, we've been kept out of those places, right? Like, you know, you, you won't necessarily see us in like these top journals and stuff like that, because historically that was not really an option. And so it has, I think, propelled us, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing to create our own venues, right? So yeah. I don't need to publish in your your uh, journal or whatever. I can go on my weekly podcast that has 10,000 plus listeners every week 
and say what I need to say, right? And and I feel like it's just as valid. Um, and so to me, it felt like a real questioning of, you know, like a professionalism and like, no, I want it to look this kind of way. Mm. Well, you wanting it to look that kind of way is a part of the problem, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're almost questioning my professional integrity and my professionalism mm. because it doesn't come in the package that you want. And mm-hmm. I think that that can play out with clients, right? Like you're expecting something to look a certain kind of way, right? Like that's why presentations are missed. You are thinking depression looks one kind of way and you have a client who comes in with some different kind of a presentation and you miss it, not wanting to, you know, acknowledge how culture could be a part of that and all of these different things that we bring into a room. So yeah, that was a very lively conversation. Yeah, but I think it's sort of this, um, I, it got me thinking too about what does that mean for a black therapist in private practice? Mm-hmm. You know, as coaches, we, we say, oh, do this, do that. But mm-hmm. maybe it looks different for a black therapist. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things I brought up to you was I noticed like some of the black therapists I've worked with, we've talked about like, could you put your face on the homepage? Like it's, it's people need to see that you're black because they need like, it's valuable. Your community needs you, and they need to see you. But I, I'm asking that of them, you know, right. and that's very easy for me to ask for. Mm-hmm. But there's some unique challenges. What kinds of things have you seen therapists in private practice come up against about, like, some of those mm-hmm. things? Yeah, I've definitely had some of those same conversations with colleagues. And I feel like a part of that is like the race piece. But I think there's also a part of like our training that kind of makes you feel like you can't really be seen, right? Like I think only in the last maybe seven years when we're thinking about all this branding and all of this stuff that like therapists are actually thinking like that, like so much of our training kind of squashes personality, I feel like in some ways. And Mm -hmm. so I think part of it is also like breaking against like the ways we've been trained. Um, but, but the race piece, I think people, and, and to me, that's always such a funny conversation because it's like, what are you going to do when the client walks in and realizes you are a black woman? Like there won't be any hiding. So then how are you going to deal with like that conversation of like the shock on the, the client's face? Right. And so I, but I do think it's a very real concern. Like, am I going to be able to build a sustainable practice? Um, being in the body and the, you know, race or ethnicity that I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something that, well, that's why I love your story. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the more that you step into that and we're like, and you got really specific of like, mm-hmm. it flourished because absolutely. Yeah. Everybody yeah. has their place and in the world and mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful, you know, (laughs) and that it's an encouragement to other black therapists or other persons of color Mm -hmm. that are, that are doing private practice. And I do think, no, if I can't interrupt Kelly, um, I do think we also have to pay attention to like um, our own like racial identity kinds of issues, right? I mean, you know, because we've all had, of course, that one multicultural class that they make everybody take, that and it one. feels like that was not culturally competent, right? I mean, it may give you some groundwork, but there's still tons and tons of work to do, so don't be fooled. Um, but you know, but it is good at least for introducing you to some of the language around like what becoming a black person looks like, right? Like so. Um, you know, like if we think about crosses stage model about, you know, like how you become um, the different levels of like blackness or whatever, there is also a real 
issue related to like internalized racism, right? And feeling like, okay, I can't be my full self because what does that mean for people who are not black and how they come into contact with me? You know, so there's also conversations around like respectability politics, right? Like that you can only be one kind of black person and that means mm-hmm. you have to be dressed super professional and I can't wear my afro I have to have my hair straight and I have Mm -hmm. to have pearl earrings and all of these things about like what a presentable black professional person looks like and for me that has just never really worked because if I want to wear my big afro today and then have straight hair next week it'll be because I decide to do that not not because I feel like it will make you more comfortable if anything I probably err more on the side of like wanting to make you uncomfortable so you have to deal with it right (laughs) um but I think we do have to be mindful that everybody is not at that place and so some of what you see when black people are trying to develop um like private practices you see their stuff coming out related to where they might be in terms of their own Mm. racial identity so Mm -hmm. you do have to give space for people to kind of figure that out for themselves too Mm mm-hmm Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. What do you think helps with that awareness of their their place in the development of it? I think having other conversations with other black colleagues who have kind of worked maybe worked through some of those things mm-hmm. really helps. You know, like I've had conversations with people who, like I said, have worried about like putting their face on the on the website and then they have conversations or they're a part of different groups um that are for black therapists. And they can kind of see like, oh, other people have been able to build very successful private practices being exactly who they are. So maybe this is not something I should worry so much about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, especially when the dominant narrative is you need to fit into this is what it means to be professional, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. and, and who came up with that definition? Right? <laughs> Black know. people. But Black never, people didn't decide what was professional that was placed on us. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. How? What other things get placed on you that show up in your business, like that you see commonly as you you have these conversations with other therapists? Um, I think the other thing that comes up sometimes is that. Um, You know, for a lot of Black therapists, there is not, of course, like generational wealth. And so we may not have like other entrepreneurs in our families. And so understanding like what that means for you to be the one who actually is successful and like how that means everything around you has to change. Right. So Tiffany um, McLean does an excellent job of talking about this, of, you know, like how your money mindset really impacts the way that you're able to grow in your business. And I do see a lot of conversations around things like that for Black therapists in private practice. So you established a Facebook group, right, for Black therapists as well. Mm-hmm. Black women in private practice. Oh, so can mm-hmm. you share more about what it, it's like in there and mm-hmm. who joins? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's probably some of the same colleagues you see in all of your Facebook groups, um, you know, but for me, and if, if we're going to be honest, Kelly, like the conversation that you mentioned earlier, like that exchange in the other Facebook group is why I felt compelled to create the group that I created, because some of those other groups feel incredibly antagonistic. And it feels like even if you are trying to be helpful to a colleague and just provide resources, then you get like responses like what we saw today, right? And so it's like, this is not a good use of my time, but there is also incredible value in being able to network with colleagues in that way, right? Like it feels like Facebook definitely has given us a platform to easily connect with people and like share ideas and, you know, kind of collaborate with one another. But it's not at the expense of like my own mental health. Like if if I got to do all of this... then I would just rather not deal with it, right. right? And so to me, it felt very important to create a space for Black women therapists who um, are, are trying to build their practices or in varying levels and to be able to support one another in that way. Mm-hmm. I think I think at least I can speak for in the coaching consultation world, we don't have enough conversations about race and how it shows up in business. And then also clinically, because, you know, that's the unique part about our work is like our business decisions also have a clinical impact. So it's kind of all melds, mm-hmm. but the race conversation, I don't know how much it's really coming up in the clinical room mm-hmm. and, it, and, or even amongst like all of the business coaching and that sort of thing. And so when I was telling you earlier before we were recording, when you thought we were recording and I was laughing <laughs> away about how our last, um, boot camp success stories panel we looked and we noticed we're like oh crap everyone's white like Mm -hmm. that's not whoops you know Mm -hmm. we made a mistake and um like the importance of being intentional and like having those conversations about what does it mean to be successful and it's not just the white older midlife woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. kind of thing right and so um you know, I'm wondering about how we can have more of those conversations, be aware, all of us as therapists about mm-hmm. that discussion, but also um, having um, therapists of color feel supported in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Kelly, as you were talking, I was just thinking about like, how many black practice coaches I even know, and I probably can only think of like two or three. Right. And so if if you're talking amongst yourselves and nobody is at that table to like force that conversation, that's probably not a place that you're going to go. Right. Because it's not typically a comfortable conversation. Um, So if there are not like people of color in the room and I'm, I'm thinking about like some conference that y'all all go to to talk about like helping people build practices. I don't think that exists, but I know that you probably like talk with your colleagues. Um, but if there are not people of color in those conversations, then somebody who is a non-person of color is going to have to be the person to bring that up. So whether it be you or, you know, I feel like Annie Schusler does an amazing job of this, you know, like just incredibly inclusive and making sure that she that people are hearing from voices that you wouldn't typically hear from. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it will have to be on one of, you know, a non-person of color to make sure that you're forcing that conversation, like saying, hey, you know, we're leaving out a huge part of populations here. Like, can we really get honest about this Mm -hmm. stuff? I think it also comes up like, when we're in our private practice and we refer out, do we Mm. consider this? Right, right. Because you refer out to people that you like, of course, know, like, and trust. And so what does that look like? 
you know, like, what does your list look like if you only spend time with other therapists who look like you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, my dream is that we just keep having more diversity in private practice. And mm-hmm. my hope is that I'm more attuned to that and aware and sensitive in growing this. And my hope too is that whoever's watching this says, oh, I need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Or if they are a person of color who's like, duh, I know that this is different for us to build a practice. I know that I need to feel supported, that they know now about you and other avenues Mm -hmm. um, for getting that kind of support because it is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it can be incredibly isolating, of course, as you know, like building a practice. And then when you add all this other stuff on top of it, it really... Um, it's almost a wonder that anybody ever really kind of goes through with it because it can be incredibly risky and it brings up a lot of stuff. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you notice I asked Mercedes, like, do you want to plan a conference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mercedes, I think, has always been thinking about some of that stuff. And that's why I think it's so important to have more like Black women and just people of color in general um, in the field because we all have different strengths and, you know, like Mercedes is somebody who's like incredibly committed to kind of being in these more traditional venues and stuff. And I do think that's needed because if that is going to kind of be seen as the gold standard in the field or whatever, then we need to be represented there too. But I also think that there's space for somebody like me who really doesn't want to have anything to do with any of that. (laughs) To the people on my podcast, you know, like that is who my work is for. And, you know, so, But I think when there are only a few of us, then it feels like we have to be pulled like, oh, I want representation. So you come do this thing for me, you know, even though that's not really where my strength or passion lies. And when there are only a few of us, it feels like they're like we're getting stretched thin, Mm -hmm. Um, which, of course, is also up to us to hold a boundary. Right. Of like, okay, no, this is not something I'm interested in doing. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of us are also committed to making sure that people know we exist and that we also do good work. So, you know, we want to kind of be present and show people that we're there. Um, But if there were more people like in the field and being able to have some of these conversations, then everybody could be doing their own thing and we wouldn't feel pressure to like be everywhere. That's a lot to carry. (laughs) It is. It is. And then you hear it across fields, right? Like when there is only one black woman academic in your department, right? And like, all of the black students want to be mentored by her. I mean, that definitely was the experience in my department. And of course you don't want like to not, you don't want to leave a student behind or Mm. feel like you're not able to kind of take it on. So then you take on all of that stuff, which is just like incredible stress. Like you can't manage it all. And I can imagine that happens in private practice too. Mm -hmm. If you get a lot of calls and there are limited black therapists, for example, Mm -hmm. in your area, Right. You feel like, where else are they going to go? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the reports that I have been getting from therapists who are listed in the directory is that that is exactly what's happening. Um, Because as the word gets out about like therapy for black girls, both the podcast and the directory, I feel like they really feed into one another. Like the the podcast makes therapy feel more accessible and relevant for people. So then they go to the directory to find somebody and people's, you know, I mean, I think it's a good thing. It has been incredible for business for a lot of the therapists. Um, But then they do get to this place of like, Oh, I don't have anywhere else to put anybody, you know? So it does cause you to make some difficult decisions. And that's sad. 
Right. Because you you don't want like the first time somebody is finally deciding they can do therapy. Yeah. And then they didn't they can't see the therapist they want to see. So yeah. Yeah. What an amazing resource. Like I'm hoping more things like this show up for all sorts of different colors mm-hmm. and ethnicities and um because it's needed. Mm-hmm. People need to find therapists that really know how to help them. Yeah. And, and that they feel them. comfortable talking to. And it reduces mental health stigma as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, you know, some of my takeaways of this are, you know, having an awareness of our own part as a therapist in private practice when we're referring, when we take clients in and have the conversation of race and when we're networking with other therapists, but also finding community is really important. And wow, what an impact you're making. Thank you. It's impressive. If people want to check out the podcast, um, can you tell a little bit of what it's about? Because I thought it was the neatest Mm -hmm. concept. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So like I said, the podcast is also called Therapy for Black Girls. um, And it continues with that mission of wanting to make mental health topics feel very relevant to Black women. And so I have released 52 episodes at this point. um, And they cover a range of topics. So um, Lisa Savage Phillips came on to talk about like emotional eating and how that shows up and how childhood trauma can feed into that, like just all of these incredible um, discussions. Um, Dr. Ajeta Robinson came on to talk about how do you manage grief and how sometimes that doesn't look like what we expect it to and what kinds of things you can expect when you're, you know, struggling with grief. Um, I've had conversations around race-related stress, how racism impacts our mental health. Um, Again, like I said, I do some episodes either by myself or with a guest therapist that talk about how to treat a a fictional Black woman character. So I've had Olivia Pope on the couch. Um, Who else? Uh, Molly from Insecure, which is a popular show on HBO. Who else have we talked about? Oh, and Tracy Ellis Ross's, uh, her character from Girlfriends, Joan Clayton. So there definitely have been some, you know, like I said, those are some of the most popular episodes <laughs> because people really enjoy being able to connect pop culture with the psychology piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can write off all your cable TV. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think about that. I did not think about that. I remember <laughs> for tax time next year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have to stay up on pop culture. Every movie you watch, it's important. It's totally important for my work. (laughs) And if people wanted to join the directory, how does that work? Mm -hmm. So you can go to therapyforblackgirls.com and find links for all of that. Um, So if you go to add my listing at therapyforblackgirls.com, then you'll be able to walk through the steps of adding your um, listing to the directory. And you can find a link for the podcast there as well. Well, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation, Kelly. And I'm just excited for people to meet you and to learn from you and be inspired. I know I am as well. So I'll put the information on how to reach you and like the podcast and all of that too. Okay. And um, yeah, I hope to have more conversations like this too. Absolutely. Thank you for the platform. Yeah. Uh, I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, 
Don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.